Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So this morning we are continuing our, our trek down the, the road less traveled as we continue our discussion on the, the book of, uh, first, books of First and Second Chronicles. And um, I'm just going to put a disclaimer so I can stop saying the books of First and Second Chronicles. I'm just going to talk about Chronicles, okay? And we're, we're condensing. <laughs> it's just easier for me to, to think about it that way. Um, before we get into the main part of our study today, I feel like sometimes it is important for us to to come back and consider the why. Um, why are we doing this? What, what's the point? Um, and I promised a while back that I, I wouldn't consistently reference biking, swimming, and running illustrations just because that's what I've started doing a lot of lately. Um, and I feel like I've been doing pretty good. <laughs> but uh, today I'm going to, so everybody buckle up. Uh, <laughs> So on a typical week, I swim about four to five kilometers. Um, normally, one and a half kilometers of that swim uh, take place on a Saturday. So on Thursday, my coach had set a, a swim workout that was, was pretty ambitious. It was very involved, and I was looking at it like, there is no way that this is all going to get done in the period of time that I need to get this done. Um, and I was right, <laughs> um, because there is a, a very tight amount of time that I have to arrive at the pool, get in the pool, do my workout before um, the aqua aerobics class comes in and ungraciously kicks me out of the pool. Uh, <laughs> there are literally ladies uh, tapping me on the shoulder, telling me to get out. Uh, <laughs> And uh, they're kind of militant about it, <laughs> so it's it's kind of kind of just makes me chuckle. Um, so I I got through a portion of my workout on Thursday. Um, my coach expects you know an update from me, so I gave her an update. Hey, I, I did most of it. This particular part didn't get done, and and on we go. Um, so Friday had a good hard run. You know, got that part of my workout done, and then I was set for a thirty minute kind of light, just easy time in the pool on Saturday, and then I was supposed to go out and do a two-hour bike ride. Um, so on Saturday, I got to the pool for what was supposed to be that nice, light, 30-minute uh, pool swim, but my coach was there. And she was actually there with her kids doing swim lessons, and, and she made some adjustments. <laughs> uh, she said, since you weren't able to knock out that workout on Thursday, let's just do that one again this morning. Sigh. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, you know, I say with my most uh, falsely enthusiastic voice that I can muster. Um, my relaxed 30-minute swim just turned into a very hard 45-minute uh, workout. But hey, you know, that's what coaches are for, is to, to push you, right? And so we, we decide to, to move forward and, and off I go. Um, so as I'm working through the laps and the various drills that that, that involves, my coach is kind of giving pointers as her kids having her swimming lessons. And, um, and then I get to the ladder section. And the, for those of you that don't know, a ladder section is basically you swim 100 meters, 
And then you take a 20 second rest and then you swim 75 meters and you take a 20 second rest and then 50 and then 25 and then thank goodness you're done. Um, she said, you know, hey, why don't we add a reverse ladder after you finish your original set? So that's 100 meters, 75, 50, 25, 50, 75, 100. Sob. <laughs> and the initial thoughts when goalposts get moved in a workout or in any challenge is to be discouraged. Where you, I had a plan. I was happy with where I was going to be in that plan. I, I was totally fine showing up for that 30-minute swim. It was safe. It was comfortable. It was easy. And here's what I know. Growth and improvement does not come out of safe, comfortable, and easy. The reason why we're walking down the road less traveled is because these parts of Scripture aren't necessarily the safe, the comfortable, or the easy. But this is where I know God is calling us to grow today. So last week we talked about the, the first nine chapters of First Chronicles that, that are primarily made up of the genealogies of pe the people of Israel, starting from Adam, working their way through the people of Israel in exile. If I go back to my days of AP English in high school, there was this consistent talk and copious amounts of red ink spilt to impress upon our young minds the importance of grabbing your reader with a, a catchy opening sentence, an opening paragraph. The chronicler missed that day of English class. The, the nine chapters of genealogies is not what we would typically say as well. That, that is the attention getter that we needed. <laughs> as is evidenced by the fact that so many people, because of that uh, nine-chapter genealogy, are either A, skipping First and Second Chronicles altogether, or B, just skipping straight to chapter 10 and saying, we'll just start here, thanks. But we come back to the, the moral of the story, that, that base assumption that we have to start with, that is, there are no wasted pages in the Bible. So maybe rather than me demanding that God make his word relevant to me, I need to determine how I make my life relevant in the light of God's word. So that the story begins with page one of the Bible. The first word of First Chronicles is, is Adam. And from there, the, the chronicler has, has woven the entire stories of Abraham's family leading to David and, and beyond in this elaborate thread of genealogies that we talked about last week. And so for these ancient Israelite readers who would have been reading this specific book, these genealogies, it wasn't just a matter of family trees saying, hey, this person was this person's grandma and, and so on and so forth. No, it was a way of retelling stories. 
When they, they saw the mention of David, they had all of the, the stories and the history that went along with that. These names would have provo- provoked entire memories of, of who these people were, what these people did. And after reading through these genealogies, after we read through these first nine chapters, we come to this brief story of Saul's reign, when it, almost to the point of saying, yeah, Saul was here, but we don't need to worry about him. Because it's talking about not only his reign, but it's talking about his failure as a king. And then we quickly move on to King David in First Chronicles from chapters 11 all the way through 29. A lot more pages are spent talking about David. And it's talking about retelling the stories that we see coming from 2 Samuel. There's this introduction that happens, this retelling of Israel's entire story. And throughout this entire retelling, there's this focus on a future hope. There's a focus that on a, a future Messiah, a messianic king who is going to be like David, who will restore the temple and who will restore God's kingdom over the nations of the earth. The, the book of Chronicles is is if we look at it as an entire literary work, was produced by an anonymous author. We, we don't know who it is. Living in Jerusalem more than 200 years after the return from exile. So they, they've seen everything. They've been there. They, they've got the t-shirt. They have all of the, the previous books of the Bible that they can look at that they're, they're pulling from for the content of, of this book that they're writing. So this is six generations after the return from exile in the, like 530 B.C. If we look at First and Second Chronicles, it's this retelling of a story. It's retelling of a story that you've, if you're following along in a reading guide, you've probably already read. You're saying, man, I, these stories seem very familiar. You're probably starting to look back saying, did I like miss a day? What is happening here? Because all of a sudden, First and Second Chronicles looks very, very similar to First and Second Samuel. It looks very similar to First and Second Kings. And this is why so often this book is just either skipped entirely or just kind of skimmed through because maybe it's just a repeat of what I already read and I don't need to worry about it. But the fact of the matter is it is so much more than that. The person who wrote this, the, the chronicler, I, I love that title. That, that is a title that just has some weight behind it, the chronicler was living in a time when the Jewish people had long resettled into Jerusalem after returning from Babylonian exile. And things were okay. If you go back, you can read Ezra, you can read Nehemiah, you can read um, Malachi. Those books are, are the books that are kind of talking about the things that are happening during the time that this is being written. But there's this growing awareness that God made a promise. 
God made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Moses. He made a promise to David. And that promise hasn't come about. God makes a promise to Abraham and says, Abraham, through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And here are these people that have been taken off into exile, that have have seen all of this hardship that has taken place in their land, that all of this hardship has taken place in their lives. And they're saying, it doesn't seem like that blessing has come about. Through David, there's a promise that's made that says, David, there will never be a time where your offspring will be off of the throne. And the the people of Israel are are looking at this saying, what is that? What does that mean? All of these kings that, that we're having are, are corrupt. They're terrible. They're, they're, they're not effective. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's, there's a king that we're waiting for. There's a Messiah that we're waiting for. And, and Isaiah was one who called it out that there was supposed to be someone who was going to show up, who was going to rebuild the temple and invite all of the nations into God's kingdom. What's going on? And so there's this this period of waiting. Where is this new David? What we see in the book of Chronicles is is this reshaping of a story. Reshaping the story that is Israel's past to rekindle a hope for a future, to say that there is something for us to be looking forward to, and we know that because of what we've already lived through. How many times... Have we talked about, have, have you been encouraged to look back at, at what your life has been up to this point? Because that is where you will be encouraged for where you are going. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, you can look back and say, in this case, God was faithful. In this case, God was faithful. In this case, God showed up and did what he said he was going to do. And so I know that whatever hardship I face tomorrow, God will be faithful. That is what the book of Chronicles is doing. It's saying, look back at every single time that God has been faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And God will continue to be faithful tomorrow. If we look at at the material that the chronicler had, he had most of the books of the Old Testament at this point. And he's taking material from uh, the book of Joshua, from Kings, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, from Psalms, from Proverbs, all of these different sections. He is pulling scripture from and he's applying it today. And he starts retelling the story of David, of Israel's king, in a way that, that turns the, the model away from, look at how great a king we had, to look at how great a king we're going to have. The, the book of Chronicles is, we could even think about it as maybe like the Reader's Digest version of the Old Testament, where this, this author is going back, kind of reflecting on all of Scripture up to this point and, and is giving an interpretation of Israel's past that is now highlighting where Israel is going to go, a future hope, because these people need a hope. These people are desperate for something, have you ever had that moment where you, you show up and you say, God, have you just like completely forgotten about me? Has there ever been that time where you say, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? 
the, the difficulty that I'm facing today? Where are you in the midst of this hardship? And sometimes we need that reminder. This, this book was designed to sustain hope, to encourage the prayer of God's people as they wait for God to fulfill a promise. In my family, we have a rule. If somebody starts sharing a story that has already been shared, we can just hold up two fingers. And that tells everybody in my family, hey, yeah, we, we've been there. We, we got that one already. And so we do that with my sister. We do that with my niece, with my, my mom and my dad. If there's something that comes up, we just hold up two fingers. And it's the polite way of saying, yeah, you can stop sharing because we already were told. Um, Sometimes that's helpful because maybe, you know, I got information from my sister that my mom didn't know. Um, and, you know, sometimes we just forget that we already shared this story. But in regards to Chronicles, we need to resist the desire to hold up the two fingers. In regards to this book, there, there is a value that comes in looking at this. If we you just start reading it on the surface you don't really understand what it is that, that's going on. It's very easy to overlook the editing that has happened here. And, and that's really where the value comes, is when we start looking at the editing of this book. When you start comparing the information that we see in Chronicles with the information that you start seeing in First and Second Samuel, that you start seeing in First and Second Kings, when you start comparing, you'll find that there are all kinds of stories about David in Second Samuel that the chronicler just completely forgot about. Well, gosh, he, he didn't even mention any of this stuff. And then we'll also see that there are all of these new stories that the chronicler is talking about. Do you think that's, like, was that just an accident? How many times have we actually stopped to think about why there is a discrepancy between 2 Samuel and First and Second Chronicles? Okay, uh, uncomfortable honesty time. Um, I've never really thought about it. It wasn't something that I devoted a whole bunch of time and energy and effort and thought process to. But when you start comparing carefully the kinds of stories that are about David in, in 2 Samuel and, and the new ones that have been added, we have a, a very specific result that takes place, a, a reshaping. In First and 2 Samuel, we see the rise of David, the, the underdog, the shepherd who goes out and defeats Goliath. We all know that story, right? That's, that's what we think about when we think about David, where he outwits his adversaries. He unifies the people together. David is presented as a king after God's own heart, who, who sings praises. He does his naked dance in front of the, the Ark of the Covenant as it's coming back. Maybe he wasn't naked. He could have just been in a loincloth. We don't know. Uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> where he is not considering his own dignity and is all around an upstanding king. Well, except for that adulterous scandal that resulted in murder and the, the stories about his homicidal sex-crazed children who uh, perform heinous acts of abuse and murder. We, we don't need to worry about those. First and second Samuel present us with this portrait of David that was constantly fleeing 
powerful adversaries. He was constantly on the run. He was running from Saul. He was running from the Philistines. He was running from his own son, Absalom. He was hiding in the hills of the uh, Judean wilderness. And we, we see the weaknesses of David when he orders his successor to assassinate his political rivals. And so what we see here is that, yes, David is portrayed in First and Second Samuel as a king, a man after God's own heart, yes. But he's also weak and morally flawed, just like anybody else. But then if we fast forward and we take a look at, at how David is portrayed in the, the book of Chronicles, it's like the chronicler purposely chose not to add any of the messy stuff. And so the first question that we have to ask is why? Why would the chronicler make that decision? And, and let's eliminate one, one possible interpretation because it's, it would be easy to look at that and say, well, the chronicler just wanted to make David look better. You know, he just wanted to leave those things out. He didn't need to leave those things out because they were already written. They're already present in the book of First and Second Samuel. So it's not like he was going to change history. It was already there. He knows perfectly well that anyone can go and read that version of David's story that portrays him as a mix of good and evil, someone who is flawed, someone who is dealing with sin in their life. The chronicler is doing something else. He's using all of the best moments in David's story and creating a portrait, a portrait of a greater David, of someone who is greater than David, somebody that needs to be looked forward to. Because the chronicler, what have they read? They've read the book of Isaiah. They've read the book of Jeremiah where there's this pointing towards a new David that is a future king from the line of David who would be the best kind of ruler. The ruler that Israel's kings have never been able to live up to. There, there is one to come. Even historical David was not the ideal king, but he was a good start. Good enough that the chronicler takes the, the story of David's past and portrays him as an image of a future hoped-for king. What we see in that is that the, the chronicler, the, the author of this story, is using history to give us a prophetic interpretation of Israel's history, saying that this is what you have seen so far, and we can use it as a guide to what is coming in the future, to encourage you, to give you hope. The chronicler isn't just leaving stories out. It's not just a matter of omitting material from David's life, but it's also adding to them. It's sharing the new information. And so there's all of these different uh, materials that are being pulled from. And so we see seven chapters of new information about David's life that further point to David as the ideal king. That's chapters 15 through 16, 22 through 29. Those are all of the new 
pieces of information that are shared about David. And this is where we discover that although David didn't oversee the building of the temple, he, he began planning for it. He began gathering the resources for the temple. And he is, in some cases, portrayed as the new Moses, the, the one who's leading the people of Israel. David received the, the blueprints for the Jerusalem temple as a, a, a pattern shown to him by God in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 28, 11 through 12. There's a very similar interaction that happens where, Jesus, or where God comes to Moses and he says, this is the blueprint of what my tabernacle will look like. This is how I am going to come and be present with the people. So David receives that information And then moving forward, we see that, that in First Chronicles, there's this, this mention of Solomon. There's stories about Solomon's failures. However, there's also this, this new information to Solomon's story where there's a prayer that takes place and a response from God because of this prayer. And it's actually a prayer that we just talked about when we were wrapping up our series on prayer. It says, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and that my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Let's think about the context for just a minute. What, what is happening in this time period where this chronicler is writing this? This people have been away in exile. They have now come back and they are just waiting for God to show up and do what he has promised. And this is when they receive this promise. If I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Taking from history, giving hope for tomorrow. These words from Solomon are, are reaching across the boundaries of time to bring the, the readers who are in that, that time, in that space, back to a promise, back to a covenant that was created where there is supposed to be an expectant hope, that hope for the Lord, that day of the Lord's mercy. So what? Another English teacher comment written in red across many a paper. So what? There isn't really a point in us going down the road less traveled if we're just doing it to sightsee. If we're just doing it to look and say, well, that's interesting. That's, that's not something, a way that I had thought about that before. 
There needs to be an actual purpose. There needs to be an action taken, a reason behind the journey. The book of Chronicles is a journey. It's a journey through the entire Old Testament that, that makes crystal clear that the story isn't over. We've looked at, at just a few examples, just a few details but every page is brimming with more and more evidence that there is a future king who is coming. And this wasn't just like a, a cool random idea that the chronicler decided to come up with. The, the book's message has a purpose to bring comfort and hope. Comfort and hope to a generation of God's people who were tempted towards just despair, who were tempted towards stepping away, saying, it has been too hard. We have gone through too much. This is not worth going through anymore. And yet what we have here is the Chronicler saying, look at where you have been and look at where God's taking you. During that time where this book was written, many wondered if God was ever going to fulfill the promise that he had made. God, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten about us? Maybe, maybe we have done so many wrong things that we have disqualified ourselves from being loved by you. Sometimes that is what we think today. That I have done enough wrong things in my life, that I have made enough poor decisions in my life to disqualify me from the love of God, to disqualify me from God keeping the promises that he has made. Church, there is not a way for you to disqualify yourself from the love of God. And so what we see here is the chronicler looking back and saying, look at every time In spite of your choices, in spite of your falling away, in spite of, of all of the sin that existed in the life of King David, in spite of all of those things, God showed up. God showed up and he did what he said he was going to do over and over and over and over again. So as we read this section of scripture that is not wasted pages, as we stop and we read these things, what is your story? What do you need to look back at and say, this is a time where God was faithful? What is an area in your life that you're looking at today that says, God, I need you to show up in this, in this instance. I need you to show up in this area because I can't do this on my own. We all have those things. And the book of Chronicles is our hope that says God does what he says he's going to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful. Regardless of the choices that we make, the, the mistakes that, that come out of our own lives, God, you are faithful and you do not allow us to disqualify ourselves from your love. God, as we go into this coming week, as we, we spend time with those that we interact with, God, whether it's our family or our coworkers, Lord, we ask that, that we would demonstrate your love towards those people. 
And God, that in demonstrating that love, that, that we would ourselves begin to, to come back to that, that realization, that, that encouragement that comes from your word, Lord, that, that we are not forgotten. That encouragement that says we have been chosen, that there is a purpose, that there is a promise that has been given that is ours. A promise that says that there is a, a, a better David, a, a new Messiah that, that has come, that will come, God, as we look forward to that day. God, we thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 